0: Welcome to the Road to Zero podcast. I'm your host, Nick LeBlanc, founder of Network Potential Consulting. We're here to explore the fast emerging zero impact economy, which is transforming the way we do business, bringing prosperity and regenerating the natural world in the process. And I invite you to look at how you can position your business at the forefront of this global movement. Today on The Road to Zero, we're talking to Kauri Helgesen, Head of Research and Innovation at CarbFix, joining us from Reykjavík, Iceland. Welcome, Carrie, and thank you for being with us.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Now, from a background in, in astrophysics and working at NASA, I'd love to hear how you got working into carbon capture after that bit
1: of a journey. Mm, yeah, well, um, interesting story. Well, I, I I started out like just thinking, you know, what what. What am I passionate about? What I want to do? And I was always passionate about astronomy, so I had a career in astrophysics, and and I did my PhD in the states. I worked at NASA Goddard Space Flight Center and and other locations uh, doing astrophysical research. Um, the transition, I guess, you know, was while I was so interested in the universe and the clockwork of the universe, how it works, it was it was pretty much out of pure scientific curiosity. You know, there there are some practical aspects of, of astronomy for sure, but but it was, you know, I was in it for the curiosity aspect. Then, you know, you get a little bit older, you get to have children, you start, you know, thinking about your immediate environment. You know, in astronomy you're always observing, you're looking and you're inferring. Um but in you know here on Earth, you know, you you're doing you're touching. You're you're affecting your surroundings, and and I guess I, I I wanted some of that. But also, what factors in is Iceland is is known for you know its geology, volcanism, etc. So there's a there's a lot of innovation related to geology, and and you know uh, that was uh, an exciting field for me once I moved back home. And tell us a bit about
0: Carbfix and exactly what you're up to.
1: Um, yeah, so in one short sentence, Carfix um, imitates natural reactions and turns CO2 into stone underground. So we capture uh, CO2 either from emission point sources or directly from the atmosphere using, you know, our collaborator, collaborators that, that have such technology. We inject it, we dissolve it in water, make sort of carbonated, fizzy water. Uh, injected into the subsurface and there, mother nature takes over and the rock formations uh, promote precipitation of carbonates. So essentially the CO2 that is dissolved in the water becomes solid carbonate minerals. So it's locked away for a millennia.
0: Okay. So simple process. And how long does that, that process take for it to get injected and actually become part of the, the rock?
1: Um, So you need uh, special kinds of rock formation. This won't work in any geology. So Iceland is particularly suitable for this. Um, However, there are suitable rock formations all over the world, in Canada, for example, United States, uh, India, Japan, and and many other places. Nobody knew like 20 years ago how fast this could go. We know that nature does it on the timescales of hundreds, thousands of years. But we figured out that we could actually do this uh, and and turn 95 percent of the co2 we injected into stone within two years so we're taking something that you know nature does in thousands of years and we're we're doing it in a matter of months or years so that that's that's pretty fast on a geological time scale so essentially we are using you know nature's innovation but simply speeding it up
0: So so I heard you you got two sources of the carbon. One's the air capture, like what we see this big fan, just sucking in air and taking the CO2 out of it. And then I imagine you've got that kind of infrastructure in Iceland.
1: Um, We, in collaboration with our Swiss partners, Climeworks, um, they have the technology that extracts CO2 directly from the atmosphere. We opened up the first commercial direct air capture and storage chain in the world just last year. So this is the only commercial size plant that does it. We, as Carfix, we inject it into the ground um, where we confirm that it mineralizes in, in under two years. So essentially we are you know sucking up the CO2 that is already out there in the atmosphere. Um, and this is something that we absolutely need to do we are to meet our climate goals by mid-century it's not enough to just stop emitting we also have to you know pay for our sins so to speak and 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 take back what we already emitted. i mean it's it's a daunting task but it's a it's a, it's a small step towards a commercial industry and uh and and people that say oh this is just a drop in the ocean or this is never going to matter i mean i i I typically ask them back, you know, you, know, you're, you, you remember the first cell phone, you know, this, this big honking thing that, you know, never really worked. I mean, that's, I mean, it's, it's, it's the same with most technologies, right? You start out, you know, demonstrating it, but then, you know, you have to make it cheaper. You have to make it more efficient and, and then it can really take off.
0: Okay. And right now, how much CO2 are you able to extract and, and, and lock in underground?
1: Um, so Climeworks, the Orca plant, what they, they they call it the Orca plant, um, has the capacity of 4,000 tons uh, per year, um, which is the equivalent of, I don't know, 800, 900 cars taken off the street. So it's, 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 you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's not a lot, but on the same site, we are also capturing CO2 from our power plant. It's a geothermal power plant which has natural emissions, so so CO2 comes up with the geothermal fluid that we use to power the turbines. Um, we also capture the CO2 from this power plant uh, and and we inject it uh, for permanent storage. So there there's sort of two sources of CO2 in at our current site in Iceland. Um, then we are working on uh, pretty much our flagship project called the Coda Terminal, and. In this project, we will actually transport CO2 that is captured at industri- industrial point sources in Europe, ship it in specialized CO2 carriers and inject it for permanent storage in Iceland. So it's kind of three parallel pathways that we are working towards in sourcing the CO2. So Iceland has you know, a lot of favorable rock formations. We have a lot of water to dissolve the CO2 in, but we don't have that much CO2. So that's really the So,
0: yeah, I guess you're lucky being in a country where I think more of so your energy is carbon uh, neutral, at least uh, geothermal. Is that, uh, is that correct?
1: Yeah, we have about 30% of the energy is, is geothermal um, and 70% is hydroelectric. So it's, it's pretty much all renewable. Which
0: is kind of nice. So then your operations are right from the bat, carbon neutral, just from the, the energy source that's widely available.
1: Uh, yeah, so it's, it's kind of a, a, a luxury that, you know, we are in, in the transition to renewable energy. We are more or less done, except to decarbonize our transport sector, our cars and ships, etc. You know, in terms of the electricity grid, we are pretty much there already. It's an unfair advantage, <laughs> some some might say, but, uh, but, you know, it gives us opportunities to focus on innovative technologies as well.
0: And what's the cost of, of capturing a ton of CO2 with,
1: with the system that you have? So that um, varies a lot um, depending on the source of the CO2. For a geothermal power plant, it is always easiest to capture it at the source where the CO2 is in high concentration. We are running the whole carbon capture and storage chain at our site in Iceland for $25 per tonne which is pretty much, I, I, well, I haven't heard of any cheaper CCS chain currently, but there might be, but uh, it, it is a, a pretty economic way to capture and store your carbon. When you capture it directly from the atmosphere, that's, that's a whole other story. That, that is still quite a bit uh, you know, more expensive in the range of some hundreds of dollars per ton. That cost definitely needs to come down um if we are to apply this at a megaton or gigaton scale later this century varies quite a lot from source to source i often use the analogy of if you're if you're if you want if there's a mass escape from a prison and you have to recapture all the prisoners so what what are you going to do are you going to wait till the prisoners are all out there in society and then start to catch them or are you going to you know place yourself right at the door and, you know, catch them as they come out. I mean, you know, which is going to be easier.
0: Yeah, definitely. So it sounds like the uh, sequestration part is the, the pretty cheap and easy part. It's just, a, like you said, just the, the capturing it, right? It, it, hopefully you can get it at a source. Otherwise, air capture technologies is really the cost driver at this point to be able to to bring it down from the atmosphere.
1: Yes, yes. So it is So it is both the, the cost and also, I mean, it's it's an energy intensive process still. You don't only have to have the money, you have to have the renewable energy to actually do it. Yes, that's why you guys are in, in such a good position. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, Iceland is a really good place to develop these direct air capture technologies, um, since we, you know, we have an economical way of, of actually doing something with the CO2, which is injecting it for permanent storage, um, as well as the, the energy mix of the grid. So it's a it's a it's a good place to if you're a startup direct air capture uh, to to actually um, see if you can deploy here. As a
0: beauty, I guess the flow through the atmosphere it doesn't matter where you suck it down from. you're, you're going to take
1: it down. That's right. I mean, through the atmosphere, we kind of have access to all the world's CO2 emissions. So if you if you emit a molecule of CO2 in an airplane in Canada, it mixes very quickly with the atmosphere, and on average, it's in Iceland on, on average within a few days.
0: Now, what's the capacity? How much CO2 could you lock away in, in Iceland,
1: for example? So the storage potential in Iceland is not the limiting factor. I mean, most of the world's carbon is already stored in rocks, It's and, and rocks contain a huge amount of carbon just you know, naturally. And Icelandic basalts are very porous. They're, they have very kind of empty spaces. They're like Swiss cheese with, with a lot of holes in them. So they a lot of space underground for, for storing CO2. And we are measuring it in gigatons. So billions of tons. 2,500 billion tons of CO2 is one estimate. So it is in that ballpark. Um, we will never run out of a uh, uh, storage space in Iceland. I mean, we, we could theoretically store all the world's emission of, of, of mankind um, for some hundreds of years. Of course, this is not practical. <laughs> you know, you have to capture it and, and get it into the right storage reservoirs. But that's why also we're developing projects elsewhere in the world um, to be closer to the emission sources.
0: Yeah, it definitely makes sense. Imagine even if you capture it cheaply somewhere else, the cost of transportation all the way to Iceland could get uh, pretty costly. Oh yes,
1: oh yes. I mean, we we, we have we are starting with transporting CO two on ships from Northern Europe. We won't go much further than Europe for sourcing the CO two. Um, we will need to develop storage sites in strategic locations uh, in other places in the world, and this is very much the plan. And th- this is what we need to do if we are. To meet climate goals. I mean, no realistic climate mitigation pathway ignores carbon capture and storage, whether it's, you know, via the carptics method or via, you know, a conventional sort of uh, injecting liquid CO2 into depleted oil and gas reservoirs method. I mean, that's, that's kind of, you know, conventional CCS or carbon capture and storage. Um, no credible pathway has no CCS in the mix. And, and the I mean, I'm saying billions of tons here, but, you know, what, what does that actually mean? So we, we ran a small calculation. We need to store, inject CO2 into the ground at the same rate as the Niagara Falls are flowing for two years. So two years worth of Niagara Falls, that's, you know, hundred something billion tons of water. So replace that water with CO2. That is how much we, we need to to inject on average until 2060. Wow.
0: Now, quick question, how, what, what do you see is your future plans for capacity? So right now you're saying you're, um, how many tons of CO2 a a year you're looking you're currently, uh, sequestering?
1: Um, we are sequestering maybe between 15 and 20,000 tons of CO2 per year. Okay. Um, And
0: what do you see in the next five years as being able to bring that up to
1: We will reach the megaton scale in five years. I I, I think I, I can safely say that. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, of course, every every climate startup has their pathway to the gigaton scale, and that's very much where we're headed as well. We want to be climate relevant in, in the billions of tons per year. It's It's really once the climate relevant volumes start to be injected, that's where we have. That's when we have started to develop these clusters, these industrial clusters. Either you go to the uh, industries, you pick up their CO2, and you you know deliver it uh, to the storage site, or you can develop the storage site close to the emitters. So you need to start developing these carbon capture and storage hubs, really and 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 this this is simply needed because so much of our emissions um has nothing to do with energy i mean steel manufacturing cement manufacturing ammonia manufacturing you know all these all these kinds of goods that we rely on to keep society going carbon is just an inherent part of the production of these these commodities even if you go 100 percent renewable energy you're still going to have all these emissions so that's why for some, carbon capture is the only viable pathway to decarbonization.
0: And it seems to be the
1: the recipe I hear a
0: lot is reduce it as much as possible. And What's left, that's the hard, harder to take. It might be cheaper to do it with this technology, especially with the price coming down. And how have you seen with the carbon? This is another great question is what's your business model and what's the impact of some of these either carbon taxes or, or cap and trades to the cost of carbon? And, and how does that work with inside the business side?
1: Well, I think there are practically so many options for carbon capture and storage that I think the industry is going to gravitate to the places where they have incentives, where they have carbon taxes, where they have tax refunds for every ton injected of CO2. So, I mean, this, this is extremely important. Europe has, for example, the ETS emission allowances, where industries have to pay a certain amount of euros per ton of CO2 emitted. Um, the United States is, is uh, pretty much, I would say, um, gearing up to be the leader in CCS with uh, a legislation called the 45Q, where you can actually get up to $85 per ton of CO2 injected for storage if I'm not mistaken, the industry will follow these incentives because uh, we need the government to create the market. This is something new. And if you don't put a price on CO2 emission, I mean, then there is no business for anybody. You you have to create the marketplace. And this is really hard in the beginning. So we need some courageous leaders to step up and Put in incentives or or carbon taxes, whatever whatever form they they take, but you know with, without it nobody's in business. So if you pollute, you pay. And then for now, what where
0: is your customer base mostly coming from? Really coming from more uh, in, within the cap and trade market, where they've got to uh, pay or or pay somehow for their carbon. So it's cheaper to potentially go through business with you guys or is it more companies that are just on the voluntarily side wanting to claim uh, zero carbon status and paying you to suck in the equivalent of what they're emitting?
1: Um, we're seeing both since we both work in this direct air capture space and we work in capture CO2 straight from the chimney and, and inject it for storage. We are seeing both and, uh, we have other projects also, you know, pertaining to the voluntary market, but, but, uh, we are also very much focused on the, on the mandatory market. Um, and, and that is where you, you, you have to reach these climate relevant volumes. And, uh, if, if you look at it from the, the, the point of view of what is the need, we absolutely need right now to stop emitting from these point sources. That is, that is a sprint race. Um, the direct air capture carbon removals from the atmosphere is extremely important and we won't reach our climate targets without it, but it's, it's, it's like a long-distance run. But the, the other is kind of sprint. I mean, we, we have to stop them right now. So, so that is simply the reality that we are in. You know, from, from that perspective, I'm sort of personally focusing more on, on the um, industrial emissions. But uh, it's also, I think, capturing CO2 directly from the air and turning it into stone, it has such an allure. I mean, it's so poetic. It's so beautiful, right? I mean, it captivates people's minds. So, I mean, it's a great way of getting people's attention and saying, like, we need to do this. Yes, we, we must also focus on the industrial point sources. That's really the elephant in the room.
0: And then right now, your your strategy are you looking to more have the carbon brought into your your current facility, expand that facility, or are you looking to take your technology and bring it out to those places that are closer and that has the right geology? So just looking to see what your expansion plans
1: are. Mm-hmm. Um, well, again, both. All my all my answers are both. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, we, we, are, we are developing projects uh, uh, outside of Iceland and outside of Europe. So both in, in uh, North America as well as Asia. Um, and as, as I already mentioned, um, there are favorable geologies found in all continents. Basalt or volcanic basalt that you find here in Iceland is one of the most common rock types on Earth find it in every continent and most of the sea floor is made up of basalt so the potential is 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 uh pretty great um in in a lot of places um uh, another thing i should mention is is that since we dissolve it in water it is somewhat a water intensive technology and that is also something you need to look at when you go into new places do they have uh water i mean we tend to recirculate the water in the reservoir but uh, and and we are also developing tech, the technology or the the ability to be able to use seawater instead of fresh water, but, but so so there there are a lot of different criteria on where you can be and where you want to be. And the third criteria is of course you know policy. Um, is it a is it a CCS friendly policy? Is it hard to get permitting? Is injection even allowed in this country? So. You know, there's, there's, there's a lot of man-made barriers as well.
0: And another quick question, too, regarding to the injection process. Is there any drawbacks or risks with in- injecting fluids on the I know often you hear on the fracking industry of, you know, earthquakes or some issues in those areas. Mm-hmm. Is there anything like that with this technology? I guess
1: always when you're injecting fluid into the subsurface, you will have um, a risk of induced seismicity. It tends to be quite a bit less with the Carfix technology because one, we are injecting at much, much lower pressures. We are simply dissolving in water and, and, and getting the water down there. And number two, we're injecting to much uh, shallower depths. So we're not going, you know, many kilometers under the surface. And these deep regions, this is where, you know, the, the tectonic stresses are, are really high. So when you go this shallow as as Carfix does, you're usually not going to be releasing any stresses underground. So I would say it's it's a fairly low uh, risk of induced seismicity with CarpFix, But I mean, you always have to be careful. You always have to monitor seismicity. You always have to have a traffic light system. So I mean, it's it's just a part of our standard procedures.
0: And what? What do you see happening in, in the wider carbon capture industry? I know you've got so your partners in the air capture world. So what, what are you seeing are the issues and where's the industry headed?
1: Well, there are, uh, there are uh, like I said, um, policy barriers in, in a lot of places. And, and typically policy tends to uh, lag behind the technology. And uh, we're experiencing that also with Carpix because we have a new method of actually storing carbon underground, as opposed to the conventional method, for which almost all of the legislation is written. Uh, we're 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 still you know uh, this is still lagging behind in a lot of countries. Another issue has to do with the liabilities of the CO2. You know who is liable for the CO2 once you hand it over to the storage partner? Once so so there are all these sorts of of legalities. Um, But, uh, I mean, the biggest, or I should say the elephant in the room is is, uh, funding. We need to have the help to implement big carbon capture and storage projects. Currently, um, the ones that have been implemented have either been done so by big oil and gas companies or aided by government. The, the the funding of the projects is definitely uh, an issue and we need we need to have well i cannot even remember the rate of you know ccs projects that we need to be deploying but we are not reaching that rate
0: Yeah, i was talking to one individual and he mentioned the that that gap once once you you electrify renewable and use technologies there'll be a gap of he figures 10 to 20 uh, gigatons of, of, of co2 and that's, uh, the industry is nowhere near that. So it definitely takes a big jump in in scale to reach that. So yeah, it's great to see there's so many different technologies, but you're, you're right, there's quite a ways to go to reach anywhere near that at this point.
1: Yeah, and I mean, we we don't have all the technologies that we need in order to reach our climate goals, but that's that can't be considered normal. It takes time to develop. But we have a lot of technologies that are ready and that you can actually deploy now. It must be our number one priority to deploy the technologies that are ready and that can have climate relevance uh, of, you know, megaton or gigaton scale. So so Carfix is one example of those technologies. We have spent years in developing it and testing it. And although we are, of course, seeking to innovate further, it is a technology that is ready to be deployed. I'll give you a last word what would you like to leave with our listeners? Let's see. <laughs> That's always a hard one. I would say stay positive. We as a community must find kind of our fighting spirit in 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 winning this. We have to have winning mentality. All the news media and all the coverage and you know it's 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 kind of demoralizing to be Feeling that you are being defeated, we should level the score, say it's zero zero, and and now we must win the match. And and I mean, think about how great of an achievement it would be if we could reach our climate targets by this mid-century. I mean, that is that is a big win. So so we must reframe it to resemble the, the the Apollo missions rather than being in a defeat. Uh, mode so so i think i think staying positive and and not panicking is we should be focusing on yeah really is the the great race of
0: our era for sure
1: yeah it is the new space race for sure and we are playing in this game no matter you know whether we like it or not
0: well, thank you very much for your time. I, I, I totally understand it's quite late in your time zone, but I appreciate that and just give us a good view of what you're up to. And I really wish you luck and I can't wait to see how how much you grow this business and how much you take on this, uh, this task, this challenge.
1: Very good. Thanks for having me, Nick. All right, have a good night. Thank you for joining us today.
0: Check us out at www.futureproof-network.com to hear our other episodes, links to our YouTube channel, and to join our Future Proof
1: Business Network. See you again in our next episode.